You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Why don't we start at the start, Genesis 1-1. How about that? I'm going to take Genesis 1-1. I think you can all find it in your Bible. It's pretty easy to find. And, uh, and we're going to start there. And one thing I do know, um, there are verses in the Bible that if you misunderstand them, you're going to get the Bible wrong. You really are. Uh, there's verses in the Bible that are so important because I think we know the nature of God better. If we know, there's certain verses that speak directly to the nature of God, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, in fact, I'll say this. If you get a handle on Genesis 1-1, the rest of the Bible will not be a problem at all. I guarantee you that. So verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So why don't you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for your word. It, it is so deep that an ocean liner could sail across. The, you've made it simple enough for a young person to understand. So Lord, I pray that, first of all, move me out of the way, Lord God. Use me as a conduit for your word. And I pray you would enlighten our minds and let your Holy Spirit rest on this group, even right now, Lord God. Penetrate our hearts with your presence. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this first verse of the Bible tells us a whole bunch about who God is. But let me ask you this. Why is it important that we think rightly about God? What, is, what does it matter? So I'm going to take just a few minutes before we dive into the scripture and emphasize why it is so important we think rightly about God. I love A.W. Tozer. He said this, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I totally agree. And I think it's a safe bet if we look back through, through human history, no culture has ever risen above what its idea of religion or God is. Whatever religion a culture or a people have, you will not rise above it. And since a culture's religion is predicated on their view of God, whether that be high or low, so important, so important. I'll say this. If we were able to extract a complete and correct answer from any man or woman when asked that question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? you'd be able to predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. No two ways about it. And that's why it's important that our idea of God come as close as we can possibly get it to the true being of God. Now, I know what you're thinking, and, and I'm thinking the same thing. Okay, God is infinite. We are finite, It'd be impossible, right? I did not say to give an exhaustive description of God, did I? No, not at all. But what I am saying, it's not easy, but I think if we view God through the lenses of the 66 books of the Bible and what the scripture says about him, 
with the inspiration of the Spirit, I think theologically we can have a correct description of God, and that's what I'm going for this morning. I would liken a correct view of God to the foundation of a building, if you will. If your view or your idea of God is off a little bit, you might not realize it for a while. The foundation might be off just a little bit. But let me tell you this, as you're building your theological house, you get to the fifth or sixth story and that thing's leaning and it's ready to fall. That's how important your view of God is, I, I believe anyway. Um, it's been said, and I agree with this, and I can take more time with this, but let me just say this and I can talk to individual about this later. But it's been said that any sin you commit in life or can commit can be traced back to a misperception of who God is. And I believe that. Have you seen those stinking bumper stickers that said, God is my co-pilot? What is that? If that's true, you're in the wrong seat. You're in the wrong seat. But, but the whole idea of God, or you hang with people, it says like my big buddy in the sky. What are you talking about? That's the creator of the universe. And, but on the flip side, you have these people that, you know, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, God's this big ogre in the sky with a club with a nail hanging out of it that's ready to whack you anytime you mess up. So you live your life scared. A correct view of God is of utmost importance. Now see, I think we tend to imagine God by, by some secret knowledge that, that we have, and we tend to create a God that conforms to our image instead of what the Bible says God is. And can, can I say this? When we think of God other than he is, that's actually idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping something other than the God of Scripture. Now, this all starts by entertaining thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. And I'll say this, that can be present where no overt acts of worship are present. I'm not saying you're kneeling in a corner to a gold statue, not at all, but it is actually idolatry to think of God as other than he is. It's dangerous business, it's dangerous business. Do you remember in Psalms when the Lord was, was chastising the wicked man and he said, you thought I was altogether like you. You thought I was altogether like you. I go into this detail for one reason. It is my hope that you will find it as important as I do to ring this verse out. Genesis 1.1, it tells us a lot. Let's see what we can find out. Let's ring it out for all it's worth. Why? So we do not get the wrong answer to the question, what is God like? What is God like? Our text will be the book of Genesis, obviously. And Genesis is so unique and pivotal. Uh, I'll say this, Genesis is the theological pillars in which the entire Bible rests on. In fact, you can take any great doctrine of the New Testament and you can find it in Genesis. Things like sin, salvation, faith, hope, love, mankind, Satan, the Trinity, they are all in Genesis, every one. Read it, prove me wrong, they are all there. 
I'll, I'll say this. If you extracted the book of Genesis from the Bible, the rest of the Bible would not make sense. Now, I'm not saying that every book in the Bible isn't inspired by God, it is. But if you took Philemon out of the Bible, you could still make sense of the rest of the Bible. You take Genesis out, it, it doesn't make sense. That's how pivotal this book is. So Genesis, both the Old and the New Testament affirm that Moses was the author. Not only that, but Jesus himself affirmed Mosaic authorship in John 5. He flat told us that Moses wrote Genesis. Genesis was written the late part of the 15th century, right about the time the children of Israel are on their Exodus journey, wandering through the desert. They just left Egypt. And God's timing on this is so perfect in that here we have these, these Israelites, God's, quote, chosen people, dreaming of this promised land that they're going to inhabit. But they would naturally have questions, wouldn't they, about Abraham, about the patriarchs? How did they get to Egypt? What happened? And what's beautiful is that God chose this time to meet with Moses and download his word to Moses. I mean, if you think about it, Israelites had spent 400 years in Egypt in this culture of polytheism, mythology. It was anything but what God had for them. So Moses, through the inspired uh, presence of God, wrote Genesis, and not only Genesis, but the first five books of the Bible. We call it the Pentateuch. Moses is the author of all of them. In ancient times, it was customary to name a book after the first word in that book, and that's exactly what the Hebrews did here. The book of Genesis begins with the word Bereshith, Bereshith, which means in Hebrew, in the beginning. But what happened in about 250 BC, the Old Testament was translated to Greek. That's what we call the Septuagint. And the Greek equivalent of in the beginning is Genesis. And that name stuck. The first three words of Genesis are Bereshith, bara, Elohim. Bereshith, bara, Elohim. It means in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. But let me tell you this, the mystery of the Trinity is embedded in that first verse. You see, the word God in Hebrew is Elohim. That's a plural. The word created, bara, is singular. So you have plural God, more than one, creating singular heaven and earth. It's a mystery but it's right there in the first verse. You've got the Trinity. And obviously, you know, in verse two, it says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the water. And then in verse 26 of chapter one, this is God talking. He said, let us, plural, make man in our likeness, in our image, plural. So, and we know from Colossians in the New Testament, Colossians 1.16, when speaking of Christ, it says, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. So why this is so beautiful is we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the opening lines 
of the first book of the Bible. It is setting a course for us. It's setting a spiritual course. And let me elaborate a little bit on the language here. The verb bara, to create, it carries the idea of out of nothing. In Latin or theological terms, it's called ex nihilo. Ex nihilo, God created out of nothing. That's amazing. It's mind-blowing. It's, and he, Hebrews 11.3 says this. Listen, let me just compare some New Testament verses to prove my point. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God created out of nothing. God created, and this is important. It sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but it's actually important. God created out of nothing, not out of himself. God is separate from his creation. You will study Eastern pantheistic worldviews and they have a completely different God. What we believe and what is true is that the universe could perish and God would remain. The universe could perish. God would remain. And this verb, bara, to create, it is only used of God. Nowhere else will you find it used of anything but God. Because you think about it, listen to this. Man cannot create. In this sense, we cannot create. We can only fashion or form things out of existing material. We create nothing. However, listen, and, and I think God has something for us here. The closest we come to creating is reproducing ourselves sexually. That's the closest we come to creating. And I believe this is why Satan wants to pervert and destroy God's plan and standard for sexuality. There is something so intrinsic there. There's something holy there. And, 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 let me, and I've said this before, but let me just go over here for a second. When a man and a woman are married before God, the word of God tells us the spirits, man and woman, they become one. They become one, okay? So when a man and woman are married and they join together in marital intimacy to have a child, there is that time where the two physically and spiritually are one. And I do believe when the sperm and the egg come together, there's a life form instantly. At that split second in time, the three are one, the Trinity. I believe there's an attachment here. It's deeply connected to the being of God and the image of God. And again, this is why this whole transgender push, LGBTQ movement, it's satanically inspired because it is a direct assault on God and his first creation, his greatest creation. Let me say that, man and woman. So that's why the force of it is like that. Um, the fact that God created man flies in the face of a whole bunch of stuff, doesn't it? Um, philosophical materialism or natural, naturalism. That's the belief that only things you can touch are real things, physical things. That, those are the only things that are real. Some of you might be old enough to remember a guy named Carl Sagan. You remember Carl Sagan and his bestseller? He was a, a, a physicist, astronomer. His best-selling book was called Cosmos. Remember that? 
The opening line of that book, Carl believed this. Steve is a philosophic, uh, philosophical materialist. He believed this because the opening lines are, the cosmos is all there is or has been or will be. Matter is God. That's what he said. Matter is God. If God created us the way the Bible indicates that he did, this flies in the face of Darwinian evolution as well. Darwinian evolution will tell you that time plus matter plus chance equals the universe equals man. Get that equation? Time plus matter plus chance. And they're sticking to that. That is their equation. I mean, obviously, okay, there's some problems to begin with. Where'd they get the matter from? But, but let's give it to them for a second. Let's say, okay, bring it to me. Time plus matter plus chance. I'll give you the matter. You know, uh, chance is not a thing. Chance is just not a thing. Chance describes the statistical probability of something happening. It is not a thing. Chance by itself cannot perform anything. That equation is just whack from the word go. However, let me say this. I can see why it's attractive. I can totally see why that view is attractive. You see, if, if we are just uh, the equation or, or what happens when we have this random collision of atoms, time plus matter plus chance, there is no morality. There is no higher standard to an answer to. We just do what we do. We live by our own instincts. Our greatest goal in life is to satisfy our flesh because, I mean, it's just life, and, and that's how it goes. It, it is absolutely from the pit. However, as I said, there's some very intelligent folks that hold this position. Uh, PhDs, uh, professors in universities. And again, it allows them to live their life the way they want with immunity from remorse, or so they think, or so they think. Genesis 1.1 uses a very special combination of words when it says the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth are what we call a mirrorism, a mirrorism. This is a statement of two opposites that indicate the totality. Heavens and earth, they're about as opposite as you can get, but it's everything in between, a mirrorism. It indicates totality. So what it's saying is this. God created everything there is, all creation, including space, including space. And this is mind-blowing right here. And I got to read off my notes here because I wanted to get this right, but I did some research. Listen to this when we think of God's creation. Have you ever been out in the desert or someplace where there's not a lot of lights and looked up at the sky? Oh my gosh, that's our galaxy, the Milky Way. Our galaxy alone has, oh, well, when you look like from east to west or look across the whole thing, our galaxy is 100,000 light years across, 100,000 light years. That's 600 trillion miles. See, these numbers boggle me, that's 600 trillion miles across. And it contains 100,000 million stars, big number. Our galaxy 
is one of some hundred billion galaxies that can be seen by modern telescopes. That is huge. That's just huge. And some of you know the work of uh, Dr. Edwin Hubble, and he was using this thing called the Doppler effect. And what they discovered was this red spectrum shift. And what that meant was the galaxies are expanding. They're moving away at some 200 million miles an hour. So we can put this together. The fact that the galaxies are moving away demands a beginning. Like if you reverse that tape, it demands a beginning. God not only created this huge, huge expanse of space and the stars, but he also created every little atom. We call it the sub-microscopic solar system. He created all these little things, electrons, neutrinos that actually have no measurable size. They're so small. God created all this. And I mean, all this is described in Genesis 1.1. All this is in Genesis 1.1. So the fact that God created all this or spoke this into existence by necessity, he must be an uncreated being. Think about it. He must be an uncreated being. Let me tell you why. For anything to exist, the sky, that microphone, us, there must have first been an uncreated being, a being that was not created. Have you ever had those conversations with folks and you'll be talking about the Bible and they'll say, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, well, who created your God? That's called a self-defeating argument. It actually is. If you play with them and say, okay, well, Zeus created my God. Who created Zeus? Apollyon created Zeus. Or, uh, and, and, and who created Polygon? Well, some other God. What it is, you have to finally get back to something uncreated. Have you ever taken a handheld mirror and turned it towards a wall mirror? It just like keeps going, you see that? That's the argument of who created God. It, it goes nowhere, there's no end. For anything to exist, for anything to exist, you must first have an uncreated being. Call that being what you want. Call it what you want. We call it God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the uncreated being. So again, if we understand that, Genesis 1.1 says that God was before all things, no beginning, no end. By definition, that means he's infinite. In fact, infinitude is one of God's attributes, infinitude. He's infinite everywhere at once, no beginning, no end. Let me say this. I think that this, of all God's attributes, is the hardest one to grasp. It's hard to grasp infinity, you know, like the one-ended stick. It's tough to imagine that. But, uh, but we need to accept it because the Holy Scriptures preach it. We need to accept this infinitude. And I'm going to say this, that I believe the more we understand his infinitude, it actually, it, it, it'll, it'll cause us to be comforted. Let me say it like that. It'll bring great comfort if you understand his infinitude. 
scientifically or mathematically, there can only be one infinite being or substance in the universe. There cannot be two because infinity or being infinite means everywhere at once, no beginning, no end. There cannot be two things like that. One would naturally overtake the other or be bigger. There's only one and that is God. God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. God has already lived all our tomorrows and yesterdays at one spot. That's infinitude. But as I said, I think it'd be comf- uh, it can be comforting to us. What does infinitude, how can that be comforting to us? What does it mean to us? I'm going to say quite a lot. It means quite a lot. You see, because God's nature is infinite, everything that flows from him is infinite. Everything that flows from it, from him, infinite. We as humans, we're locked in time. We're constantly being frustrated by our limitations of time and growing old. Time actually works against us. Um, l- let me quote Tozier here again. I love this. He has a wonderful uh, kind of a quote. He articulates the problem of time very well. Listen to this. The days of the years of our lives are few and swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Life is a short and fevered rehearsal for a concert we cannot stay to give. Just when we appear to have gained some proficiency, we are forced to lay down our instruments. There is simply not time enough to think, to become, to perform what the constitution of our nature indicates we are capable of. And isn't that the truth? I mean, if you could have the wisdom of a 70-year-old and a 20-year-old body, wouldn't that be great? Or the body of a 20-year-old, you know, that would be excellent. But that, we're working against time there. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So think of this, think of this. How satisfying will it be to turn from our limitations to a God that has none? The gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ is as limitless as God. The gift of eternal life in Christ is as limitless as God. See, the Christian possesses God's own life and shares infinitude with him. Think about that. We share infinitude with God. And so for those of us that have felt the grinding pain of sin and guilt, we can look forward to an eternity without it, an eternity without it. God's mercy is infinite. God's love is infinite. And this is why we should all take great comfort from the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans that said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Oh, that feels good. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. In our eternity to come, the Bible says that there is joy unspeakable. And I've talked about this before. We're going to have ability to sense joy like we never have. We're going to have new uh, pleasure receptors, if you will, in heaven. It is joy unspeakable. We'll have the ability to enjoy things to a much greater capacity because here on earth, it's polluted with sin. 
We don't even, you know, you don't know what you don't know. We don't know what we're missing because we live in this sin-polluted world. It's my belief in eternity in heaven that we will talk and eat and enjoy friends and loved ones eternally. In fact, the Bible says that. Not to mention that we will be face to face with the source of love himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's even too much, I mean. And it's right here, dear friends, it's right here that the Christian message is so relevant and it's such good news. You'll recognize these words. Jesus Christ has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's abolished death. And this is interesting. This is where God's eternity and man's morality join to persuade us that faith in Jesus Christ is not optional. This is not optional. For every man and woman, it must be Christ or eternal tragedy. It must be Christ or eternal tragedy. You see, out of eternity, out of eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ came out into our time and space to rescue his human brethren who through their foolishness had become slaves to sin and death. That's us. He left everything to do that. And this is where I want to draw our attention back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Before the beginning, God had a specific and eternal purpose to fulfill before the beginning. So I want to finish. I want to finish with this. What I'd like to do is take some New Testament verses and apply them to the point I just made to prove the point that before the beginning of time, God had eternal purposes for each one of us. The mission of Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.20 says this, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So eternal life was promised before time began. Titus 1.2 says this, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Mm. The mystery of the cross, the gospel, was foreordained before time. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.7. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Also, the grace of the Lord Jesus was given before the foundation of the earth. 2 Timothy 1.8, listen to this. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we had done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of of time. This is God's plan. And believers in Christ, us, if you're a believer, were chosen before the beginning of time. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says exactly this. For he chose us in him before his creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure 
and will. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up, please. Would you guys come up? And uh, here's, here's how I want to go with this. So this morning, I started off saying that our view of God will influence how we understand the rest of the Bible. And I think that's pretty clear. I really do. I also said that what comes into your mind when you think about God will determine the trajectory of not only your physical life, but it will predict with certainty the direction of your spiritual life. We have seen that God is without beginning. He's without end. He is infinite and he's eternal. He's already seen all our yesterdays. He's seen all our tomorrows. He created time, space, matter, as Genesis says, the heavens and the earth. It's all there. But even more, and and if you've heard nothing this morning, listen to this, but above all that, the creator of everything, the one that created everything, came to earth to suffer and die because he loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. And can I say this? If you were the only person on earth, he would have done that for you. It's personal. He loves you. We're all eternal creatures, no doubt about it. The big question is, where are you gonna spend eternity? Where are you? You're gonna be around forever. Where are you gonna be? For every man and woman, the decision must be Christ or eternal tragedy. So what I'm gonna do right now, um, I'm, I'm gonna pray, but, and you'll be dismissed when I'm done praying, but I want you to think about this, and I pray the Holy Spirit is just resting on this place right now. If you're not sure if you have received Christ, if there's any doubt in your mind, come up and seal the deal. There's a lot riding on it. Let me say this, if there's something going on that's, maybe you've received Christ, but there's something going on in your life that's blocking you from walking with him as you should, come on up. These wonderful prayer warriors up here, if, if there's something in your life you just want to pray about with another brother, sister, come up. Never discount the power of prayer. It's divine and powerful. So Lord, I thank you. Even right now, Lord God, we sense your presence. Lord God, we are forever and eternally grateful for what you've done for us, that we will share eternity with you, Lord. Yes, amen, eternity starts now. And so Father, I pray if there's anyone that needs to know you, that they would come up, Lord. I pray that you would take any demonic influence, any other thought away, Lord God. Let them come up, Lord God. And and Father, I just pray, and I know right now, no, no matter what, the seed of your word has been sown, and it will yield a harvest 10,000 fold. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.